the typical American dream pathway says, go to high school, get good grades, go to a good college, get good grades, get a good job, work in that job for 40, maybe 45 years. In the meantime, get married, have 2.5 kids, a dog, a nice house with a white picket fence, drive a nice car or two at age 65, retire and live the good life. And that is, that path is, it's not broken. There's nothing wrong with it. And it works for a lot. It's worked for millions of people. And I'm not saying that that is the wrong choice. I would never say that to anyone, but that chapter talks about, Hey, there's another option and, and it's called early financial independence. And if you do things differently with your money, you can get to a point where you don't have to work decades before 65. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Dan Sheeks, welcome back to the second time of being on the Better Wealth podcast. You got a book that's coming out that I want every single person that knows of someone under the age of, what What, what are the age range here? Uh, the book is for teenagers, so I guess under under 20. So under 55, <laughs> Yes, yeah. you need this book uh, because knowing you, getting to read some of it, I am blown away, man. Congrats. And I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into a little bit about how and why you, you got into writing a book. But this is phenomenal. It's called First to a Million. And quite frankly, you're saying teenagers, which I think it's a must read for teenagers. Mm-hmm. But, I, but listen, man, it's a must read for most people because you said something many times because just of our friendship that being a teacher, you're able to communicate things in a simple way. Mm-hmm. And you start looking at stats right now about where America's at. We need help. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and thank you, Caleb, for having me back on for uh, podcast number two with Better Wealth. Glad to be here. Super pumped to talk about whatever you want, including the book. Um, but I think, I think, as I said on the first podcast, we are both cut from the same cloth and that we're just out there trying to help people live their best lives. And if they like what we have to say, then we're, we're willing to say it. Yeah. So I want to encourage if, if you're like listening to this and you're like, man, I want to learn more about like Dan, his background, all of that. Uh, we did an episode. It'll be in the show notes. And I would just encourage you to listen to that because it, I've gotten so many people reached out. Uh, I, I know some people reached out to you as well. And it's just like, I really appreciate the authenticity, the heart behind teaching um, and getting into this. But I want to jump right in. Why a book? You're publishing it with bigger pockets, which, by the way, is like a big deal in the in the FI community, uh, and just just has a lot of credibility behind that. And you're also getting on some really really big stages. And so, how did you pull that off? Why did you pull that off? And then I want to dive right into the the concepts in the book because, uh, like I said, it's like where do I even start? Each chapter could be a whole podcast on its own, uh, which yeah. is is a lot of times a book has like three nuggets and they fluff it up. You pick a chapter, you'll get value. Yeah. The, uh, and thanks for saying that, by the way, the book is, uh, is like we said, it's written for teenagers. The subtitle is uh, a teenager's guide to achieving early financial freedom, but really anyone, I don't care what age you are. If you're new to the early financial independence movement, the fire movement, whatever you want to call it, fire strategies, then the book would be of great value to you. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, writing the book was just, it, it just felt like the right thing to do. Um, 
I have always had a passion for working with teenagers. I've been a high school, a public high school business teacher for this is my 19th year, which is crazy to say it's been that long, but it has been almost two decades. Uh, personal finance and financial literacy is a passion of mine. Real estate investing, which the book touches on for sure as a passive income strategy, but it's not a real estate investing book. Um, and then just that, that early financial independence pathway, which isn't what everyone should do, but it's, I think everyone should know that that is an option. So if you roll all that together and, and mush it together, that's what First Two Million is all about. Um, it's, it's my effort to help teens and young people know about the option of early financial independence, explore it with the book. I tried to explain it in simple terms as best I could. And then they just know they have other options than the typical nine to five till you're 65 right. grind, which, right. which is okay, but it's not for everybody. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I'm going to encourage everyone to get, get this, buy it by the bulk and, and give it out for Christmas gifts. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. we live in a world of consumer, consumerism, consumerism, and, and this might be a, an, an asset that you can give somebody and they can uh, get specialized knowledge and, and ultimately be the true gift that will continue to give. That's, that's why I mm -hmm. love the concept of, um, of the fire movement. I love a lot of the messages behind that because it's very much living intentionally, which you know is a big, big core value at Better Wealth. And yep. it's really making sure that your time, your money is all aligned into living the life. Uh, and a lot of times, if you don't know that's even possible, it's like, where do you even begin? You just go down a typical path. And mm -hmm. if you look at, again, typical uh, average American, it's like you don't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily want to trade places with that. So um, congrats to you. I know uh, uh, writing a book can be challenging. What, what was the biggest challenge? Is it, is it coming up with topics or was it like <clears throat> simplifying it or? Yeah, I think. Um, and by the way, you mentioned bigger pockets and super, super grateful to the team at bigger pockets, the publishing team for, I think, taking a risk on this book. I mean, I think it has immense value, but in their, the books they've published so far, almost all of them are real estate focused and they're all aimed at, I would say 30, 40, maybe 50 year old adults. So this book being specifically for teenagers, and it's more of a I would, I would classify it more as a personal finance book than a real estate investing book. They, um, they deserve some credit because I think they're doing it because they know it can help a lot of people. But the toughest part of writing it, I, I'd never written a book before, so I'm definitely not an expert. Um, and Caleb, you could probably speak to this as well when you wrote your book. I, no one ever told me how to do it. So I, I just kind of started um, taking nuggets like from different podcasts, from different books I've read, different ideas I had. And just started writing them all down in a, in a Google Doc and then eventually said, okay, I need to organize this and make a book out of it. The intention was always to write a book. Actually, the initial intention was to write a workbook, more of a, a, a checklist, uh, which was born out of some speakers from Bigger Pockets coming to my classes to talk to my kids. And I thought, I really need a checklist to get kids into this pathway should they want to pursue it. But then when I started focusing on the workbook, I quickly realized that I needed to write a book first to lay the foundation with all the important concepts and strategies so that the workbook would actually make sense and it, was a, it would be a usable product. So both the book and the workbook are being published by Bigger Pockets, being released right about now, December 6th. So yes, I agree with you. It is a great holiday gift, stuffing, stocking stuffer, 
um, gift that keeps on giving kind of thing. That's right. Yeah. There's there's a lot of legacy points, and I and again I want to commend Bigger Pockets as well because it's like this this really you don't have a massive audience and all this stuff and but what what's very very relevant is when you when you talk to you or when you hear what you're up to you will and so it's very obvious to me it's very obvious to bigger pockets it's very obvious to anyone that connects with you it's like you have an ability to teach your heart's in the right place you're building a solid track record what you're doing with sheiks freaks is totally amazing and uh, this is going. This is going to be very exciting to see this get realized and see how many people get impacted by this. So I want to dive right in, man. Okay. You, uh, you start part one, uh, the standard path, and and a different option. And and you, chapter two, you went swinging for the fences. I did. And it, I did. it's interesting because it's like a little bit of a shock factor. Um, mm-hmm. the, the title is why you should tell America American Dream to f off. Mm-hmm. Very interesting as a kids book. That being uh, <laughs> chapter two, t- talk to me about why that that's the case and what you mean by that. Um, yeah, it's, it's just about getting their attention, right? I mean, it, it's a clickbaity kind of chapter title. Uh, and it's not, a, you know, I didn't spell the word out. It's not a word that teenagers don't know. Uh, and so um, I didn't write the book as if I'm trying to connect with them on their level because I can't. I'm, I'm an adult. Um, but you know, every once in a while I try to appeal to, uh, their interests. So the, the, the chapter is, yeah, how, how to tell an American, why you should tell the American dream to F off. It's about the idea. There's, there's, there's a few different ways to look at the American dream, but the typical American dream pathway says, go to high school, get good grades, go to a good college, get good grades get a good job, work in that job for 40, maybe 45 years. In the meantime, get married, have 2.5 kids, a dog, a nice house with a white picket fence, drive a nice car or two um, at age 65, retire and live the good life. And that is, that path is, it's not broken. There's nothing wrong with it. And it works for a lot. It's worked for millions of people. Um, And I'm not saying that that is, the wrong choice. I would never say that to anyone, but that chapter talks about, Hey, there's another option and, and it's called early financial independence. And if you do things differently with your money, you can get to a point where you don't have to work decades before 65. And I'm not saying that option is right or the, or the, the perfect one for anyone. And then there's everywhere in between. I mean, we know people who have achieved early financial independence in their twenties they hammered it and they, they kind of went all in and they took some risk and maybe they made more sacrifices than they should have. But if you go from 25, 30 to 65, there's everything in between there as far as options go. So the one option of going till you're 65, as okay as that is, it's not the only option. So really the, the entire mission of the book is just to lay out other options and allow the reader to decide what's best for them. And by the way, when people hit 65, it's going to be deferred to 70 or 75 yeah. because you just yeah. look at, you just look at stats, like the typical traditional way is not going to work. I'll be the one that says that you, you can, you can kind of be like, Hey, I'm not saying it's wrong. It's wrong. Like, don't do that mm-hmm. or be intentional. If you love the work that you're doing, amazing, but like yeah. lean in, uh, and there's yeah. a better way. And a lot of times you, all it's people just need to see that that's possible. 
Um, and so, yeah, I love, I love that, by the way. It got my attention, and I think it really sets the stage to saying, hey, a lot of, a lot of the issue is where we're going. Because if you're playing, if you're playing a game that, that you think the, the best thing to do is go to high school, go to college, work a job, do your thing, retire at 65, 70, you could crush it. You'd be so mad if you're, you know, <laughs> learning about this 20 years from now. And how many people did we meet the other day? Because we went to the conference, and everyone's like, everyone had this epiphany later in their life, and it's really cool to start seeing the young people get this. Mm -hmm. um, it's really cool, and it's it's going to be cool to see the case studies or the the second edition of people that actually took your book, were mm -hmm. um, 15, 16, 17 years old, and and became financially independent before their age of 20, like that. Like that will happen, and it's that's possible. Be, yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be cool. So chapter three is all about the um, FI equation, which I'm which I'm curious what that is, um, and then the four mechanisms of the early FI. So I'm just wondering, like, what that is in a nutshell. Yeah, in a nutshell, because the rest of the book really is about. Uh, well, I should say, the majority of the book is about the four mechanisms. So the the FI equation or FI. There's no. <laughs> Right or wrong way to say that. The phi equation, different people describe it different ways. My version of it is um, passive income plus what I call sustainable asset withdrawal is greater than living expenses. And so there's, there's two parts to that left side of the equation. Passive income from whatever source you, I mean, most people in the phi community are, are real estate investors and that's where they get a lot of their passive income. It could also be from a business that you own, but don't run. It could also be from, you know, vending machines or car washes or whatever you choose. So passive income is kind of the bigger pockets version of FI, building passive income. Mm -hmm. The sustainable asset withdrawal is more of the um, choose FI community and the Mr. Money Mustache community version of FI, where you're aggressively saving, putting it into index funds, using the 4% rule, to save 25% of your annual expenses. And then now you're five, you hit your five number, you're financially independent. Mine combines both. And I let the reader say, I want to go 50, 50, 50% right. in real estate, 50% index funds or 80, 20, whatever, whatever they want to do. But the point is, is that those two, if you add them together, more than pay for your living expenses, the, the four mechanisms of early financial independence, that the book spends a lot of time talking about. One is earning more. So not just a full-time job, but finding a way to have a side hustle or, or some passive income streams. Mechanism two is spending less. It's all about frugality, increasing your savings rate. Um, mechanism number four is about saving the difference. So what is the best way to save? If you're spending less and earning more, there should be a, a nice... <laughs> Uh, difference there that you're going to put away for either passive income streams or hopefully index fund investing or something similar. And then mechanism four is invest your savings wisely with one of those. Those tools aren't the only ones I talk about, but in the FI community, real estate investing and index fund investing are the proven methods to reach FI early decades before most people. I love it, man. Um, it's, it a lot of people can overcomplicate it, but it comes down to saving more money and whether you save more by making more and saving the difference or figuring out ways to audit where our money's going. Um, it can, it can be very, very powerful. And it's, it's inspiring to see people that are 
saving more than they're living off of. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, mm -hmm. it's possible and it's, yeah. it's cool oh, yeah. to see. And, and it's like, you're setting yourself up again. Uh, you're setting yourself up for a lot of success. We could, we could spend a whole time debating. I, I'll, I'll, I'll skip the debate as in the best ways to do that. But overall, mm -hmm. like, I think the discipline behind that, someone's disciplined enough to start saving significant amount of money. I will say this publicly, whatever strategy you pick, you're going to be way better off than the typical person that doesn't yeah. have a strategy. And so. Yeah. Um, I, I love that. Anything else that you want to add to that? No, no. I think those, the four mechanisms are really the, the second half of the book. And, and, uh, um, and you, you touched on it, you know, saving, increasing your income, spending less, saving a massive amount of your income, 50%, maybe 60, 70%. And, and that goes into the pay yourself first rule, which I talk about in the book as well. That's when people ask me, what's the one takeaway yep. that if anyone could take one thing away from your book, what would it be? And I would say it's that pay yourself first and, and not 5%, right? I mean, try to do at least 25, if not 50%. If you do that one thing, I tell my students in class, if you do one thing and it's pay yourself first, 30% or more of your income, and you do that consistently, you can't help but become financially independent way early in your life. It will automatically happen. It has to mathematically. I'm I'm getting flashbacks. Do you remember what book, or can you guess what book that gave me flashbacks on on teaching that principle? Oh well, I I got it from uh, the Richest Man in Babylon. There you go. Yeah. yeah, Richest Man in Babylon, one of the first books that um I I read. That's one of the things that I'm grateful for because that book got me into money. I, I just mm -hmm. I thought it was amazing, but it's reversing the equation of yeah. like, instead of whatever's left over, yep. you get to save. It's like paying yourself first. And oh, by the way, if you have an expense or if you have a bill and you, you need to pay yourself before you even pay that stuff, that's how radical that sounded. Yeah. But it's like the whole concept is if you don't do that, you'll just, you'll let the current of everyday life and all the excuses mm -hmm. push you around. And I'm, I just want to echo that, the discipline of paying yourself first. That's everything. That I is everything. Yeah. I love it. Um, okay, so part two is the the financial independence foundation. Okay, and so we talk about things like happiness, um, the concept of enough, which is really interesting. You also touch on the entrepreneurial mindset, which I'm really curious to hear your thoughts and why you put that in there. Because again, there's a lot of people that can do this, and entrepreneurs are a certain group of people. But I'm starting to see a theme where it's like, eat regardless of what path you take, what does an entrepreneurial mindset Look like and i know that's chapter seven but i just wanted to i want to talk about the fi foundation and and the pros pros of it and and what are some of the key takeaways in in part two yeah the the chapter on happiness is really it it makes the reader focus on what truly makes them happy and if that's our goal um which i think it should be in my personal opinion it should be happiness it should not be i want to be a multimillionaire. i want to be rich i want to own lots of fancy cars that is okay, but the happiness, if without happiness, then what's all that, what's all that even good for? And so it forces them to look at what actually makes them happy. And when they do that, and I actually have them write out a list, they generally come up with, and this would be anybody, not just a teenager, but spending time with family, spending time with friends, enjoying my hobbies, maybe traveling. These are the things that make me really happy. Generally, those don't cost a lot of money. Hanging out with your friends in the park and having a picnic is a pretty low-cost budget item. So if you really want to be happy and that's your goal, which at least that's my goal, 
Um, you don't have to have millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. You just have to have time. And that's what FI gets you. Uh, the concept of enough is also, um, <laughs> I won't say stolen because I'm a, teachers, we borrow everything. Oh, that's, that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. So just like Pay Yourself First came from Richest Man in Babylon, wonderful book. Uh, the concept of enough in the Vicky Robin and Joe Dominguez in Your Money, Your Life wrote about it. They called it the fulfillment curve. I tweaked it and called it the happiness curve. And so that is basically that when you have enough things to cover all the bases, so you are fed, clothed, housed, and you have safety, plus a little bit extra for fun. And um, we all deserve to spend on ourselves and splurge sometimes. That's when you are happiness. Beyond that, the more things you start to gather, the more money you start to spend actually decreases your happiness is what studies have shown. So that's the, that's the chapter on enough. Um, really eye-opening for a lot of people, I think. Uh, and then, yeah, the entrepreneurship mindset is there's the pathway to early five is not for everybody. It never has been and never will be. Uh, it takes a certain mindset that not everyone has. And in my opinion, that mindset of someone who's going for early financial independence is really similar to the mindset of an entrepreneur. So that's why I included it. And it, so it's things like not being afraid to take risks. That's, that's something an entrepreneur has to have embedded in them. And I think it also has to be for someone who wants to achieve early financial independence, the ability to pull the trigger at the right time, not too early, not too late, but finding, you know, you can't go in blind, but you also can't sit there and do the analysis or paralysis by analysis thing. You need to know, I, I need to act now. I'm ready to go. Um, and not being afraid of failure. Uh, every entrepreneur, every person on their path to FI, yourself, myself, we've all failed over and over and over again. Yeah. But you have to get through those in order to find success on the other end. So the entrepreneurship mindset, I think, is key for those who really want to um, find financial independence to, to achieve that at an early age. Yeah, man, I really appreciate you speaking into the entrepreneur mindset because it, it could be a little bit polarizing, but it, but at the end of the day, I, I hope more and more people start sharing that narrative um, because part of an entrepreneur mindset is having a vision and working towards something. And there will always be a time where the masses of people say, why are you doing that? Like that doesn't mm -hmm. make any sense. Or, and, and it's like, you almost have to have a little bit of a, uh, I'll show you or, or vision or, or that it, um, that allows you to keep going when a lot of people would throw in the towel. And so, yeah. How many, how many times have doubters said to you, yeah. what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Yeah. I was told that I need to wear a suit. I need to have gray in my hair. I need to have glasses and that this whole internet thing was a really bad idea to try to start a business and coach and teach people on the internet. And thank goodness I was a little bit ignorant, right? It's because they're probably right. It just, at the end of the day, it was just consistency after consistency with this um, belief that there was a better way that um, Better Wealth was born. And um, knock on wood, I'm grateful to say that we're continuing to grow as a company. And so um, I'm, I definitely resonate with that mindset. And uh, someday, if I ever have children, I'm, I'm going to raise them to think like entrepreneurs, whether they want to be an entrepreneur or not, I think it yeah. makes yeah. them a better human. Well, I got to be careful in saying that, but I really do believe it makes you a better human being if you can develop that mindset. And 
don't send me the hate mail <laughs> if you disagree <laughs> or you send it to Dan. He, he has a chapter on it. Um, okay. So anything else you want to add before we dive into part, part three? Uh, no, let's go to part three. All right. Part three is where the rubber meets the road. We talked mm -hmm. a lot about philosophy mindset, which is amazing, but this is where we start diving into, um, some real concepts. I don't think we can cover all of them, but one of the things is chapter nine. I love the title real assets versus false assets unpack that for us uh another borrowed concept right I, I don't think robert kiyosaki was the first guy to come up with it but he definitely uh has hammered it over the years in, in rich dad poor dad yeah. um yeah so most people's definition of an asset is just something that you own that has value um but in the phi community in the phi movement that's false some are some aren't so a car is a great example of a false asset. Most people think a car is an, is an asset. Um, it is worth money. You could sell it and get some money. But tomorrow, if you sold it, you would get less money. And a year from now, you would get even less money. Um, because of depreciation and wear and tear, it is taking money from you. It's taking money out of your wallet. Um, so it's a false asset versus a real asset is, an, is something that puts money into your pocket. Um, and my favorite example of that, being a real estate investor, is real estate property. Um, if you have a condo and you rent it out and it's producing cash flow, um, it's worth money and it's, it's creating more wealth for you over time. It's putting money into your pocket. That's a real asset. If I, would, I would go as far as to say, once you pay yourself first, understanding the difference between a real asset and a fake asset is another just solid, solid principle. Um, I talk about an asset-based activity versus a liability-based activity. I also borrowed it or was inspired by Robert Kiyosaki, but I just find that a lot of people in how they spend their time and money is like, is it putting money back in your pocket or is that activity or activity that you're doing or that asset that you're buying, is that taking money away? And at that, that concept again is an amazing filter as it relates to what you spend your time and money on. And uh, that, that alone, I think, is going to help a lot of people. I also like how you talk about good debt versus bad debt. Uh, Dave Ramsey should be plugging his ears right now. Um, yeah. what, I, I like that you're touching on the debt piece, and you also touch on credit, the cre credit score in a kid's book, a teen's book. I love that because mm -hmm. in full transparency, man, I paid cash for my first car. Um, I paid cash for college. Here I am at 21, starting Better Wealth, don't even have a credit credit card. I'm like trying to get a credit card and like, you know, I'm, my balance is like two grand mm -hmm. because I like, and it was like, looking back, I'm like, the biggest regret I have in growing up is I wish I would have understood debt and understood credit. And it's now looking back was, would be the one thing that I would massively do differently if I had to redo my teenage years. Yeah. I, and you thought you were doing the right thing, right? You were paying all cash for a car. That's for most, for Dave Ramsey and, and a lot of people, that's, that's the right thing to do. You're not, you're not building up de bad debt by having a car loan. Um, but with credit cards and building credit score, it's so important. It's a game. You got to know the rules. You got to play by the rules. Uh, I tell my, the members of my community and, and in the book, anyone who reads the book, I tell them, get your first credit card the day you turn 18, like roll out of bed, go to your computer, apply for that first credit card. Get your second one at age 19, get your third one at 19 and a half. Use every one of them every month 
for things that you would buy anyway, pay them off in full every month on time. And by the time you're 19 and a half to 20, you will have a 750 plus credit score. Many of my members have done that exact same thing. And you are miles ahead of most 20 or 30 year olds as far as credit score goes. Um, and it's so important, especially when you're, you know, you, many of the real assets that we want to purchase require some kind of a loan or a mortgage. And without a credit score, it makes it tough, not impossible. You can partner or have a co-signer, but that credit score is key. What's the difference between good debt and bad debt? Uh, it's very similar to uh, real assets and false assets. Bad debt is money that's stealing from your net worth. A car loan, great example. Student loans, honestly, um, you can debate that a little bit, but student loans for most people are bad debt. Um, uh, credit card debt is the worst. That's bad debt, especially if you're paying that high interest rate. Good debt <clears throat> um, is money that is you've borrowed, but it's making you more than you're paying to borrow that money. So if you borrowed hundred grand to purchase a, a car wash, but that car wash is kicking off plenty of money to more than cover the, the debt service, the interest on that, on that loan, then that loan is making you money. That's good debt. I'll take that all day long. So is it fair to say this, that a car loan could be good debt if, if the funds alternatively are making you more money than the cost of the loan? Yeah, I had a conversation with someone recently about, you know, what if I buy a car and I, and I get a loan to buy the car? Money is really cheap nowadays, so interest rate's not too bad. And then I, I take that car and I rent it out on Turo, and I'm making more money renting it out than I'm paying an in interest. Absolutely, do that all day long. There, yeah, and there's people who are making a living off of Turo. They have several cars, fleets of cars, although I heard recently that the rental car market is kind of coming back into check with their pricing. So Turo yeah. entrepreneurs are having a little bit tougher time. I don't know the ins and outs of that. It's not my yeah. gig, but, but no, yeah. I, if I'm even saying this is this, and this is just us going live chatting. I'm saying if step number one in, in buying a car is, is can you pay it in cash? Because I think debt, I think you and I both can agree that debt can enable bad purchases. Like house, um, banks will let you buy a house that you probably can't afford, but on paper you can. So number one, if you figure out what car you want to drive and you can pay cash, what I'm saying is it would be an interesting thought experiment to still get the loan and take that money that you were going to pay cash for the car and go invest it in the index funds or a business yeah. or yeah. potentially a down payment on real estate. It's just a thought experiment. And it, the idea is opportunity cost is a real thing. And I want to echo what you said, good debt puts money back in your pocket increases your net worth, bad debt robs from your, your net worth and ultimately uh, enables you or takes money that, that should be working for you and that's not. And, and unfortunately, we live um, in a culture where people are using debt to bankroll their lifestyle and yeah. that's, a, yeah. that's a game you'll never win. That's a game that makes you work till you're 70 years old. Yep. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about another chapter that you have. It's called Income Versus Wealth. And I I kind of crack up on this because I, I don't want to get too political here, but a lot of people think they're attacking the wealth, but they're really just attacking high income er earners. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a difference. Um, talk about, talk about the difference uh, and what this chapter in it entails. Uh, yeah. I think people do oftentimes and young people might be more guilty just because they see a lot of people on social media who have high incomes and it looks like they have, high net worth, but they don't. So 
you can have a high income and you can have zero or negative net worth. Um, you can have a low income and you can have an amazingly high net worth. It's all about what you do with the money you earn. Income is money you earn, it's money coming in, but net worth is how much of that do you keep? Cash, investments, um, and other ways to help build your net worth. So uh, net worth is more important. Um, income is great if you have a high, high income level, awesome. But if you're spending it all or more than that, some people make 500,000 a year, but they spend 700,000 a year. Their net worth is negative. They may look on like all their pictures on Instagram and Snapchat might make it look like they have a high net worth, yeah. but they don't. The also interesting thing, I don't know if you cover this in the book, but the how it's taxed is different uh, as well. And so a lot of wealth <clears throat> is, is created in assets that that's in, in many cases are taxed different than high income earners. Mm -hmm. And um, it's definitely, it's definitely a paradigm shift there. Yep. You're exactly right. Uh, chapter 14 is all about passive income. And I think this is uh, a, another solid foundational thought process as it relates to FI and, and just is the ultimate goal. So my, my question number one is, is there anything truly passive and is passive income real or is, is it the idea of not actively working? Yeah, that's, that's good. I, so passive income by definition is money you earn without working, right? Um, right. The, the closest thing I know to passive income, truly passive income would be index fund investing. You put money in, you never touch it again. You let it do its thing for 30 years. That's pretty passive and you don't even have to check it. Um, if you set up automatic um, investments every month, um, it's a little less passive, but still pretty automated. You don't have to touch it really. Um, versus real estate, which is a passive income stream for many, many successful people. Um, it's not hundred percent passive. Uh, it does require some work and, and it, it does require a lot of work. If you're not, if you don't want to get a property manager or you're trying to buy a lot, or you're trying to flip houses or something, it can be more of a job actually. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, but even real estate or other forms of income that are not 100% passive, they, all of these that are in the chapter are still require a lot less of your time than, than a job. A job, you have to be there to earn money. Right. If you're not clocked in, if you, if you call in sick, if you take a week off, you are making zero money. Whereas even real estate, even though you might be working a few hours a week, um, you're making money while you sleep. Yep. I love it, man. I leverage wealth is, is something really powerful and, and you can leverage things like using index funds, real estate, building a business and having other people work with you. Um, this is a form of leverage and hopefully will create wealth, um, not just in money, but impact. And so love, love that you have that, um, real quick, I, I, we have three more parts to dive into, but if you're still on the fence of being like, yeah, I, I don't know if I should get this book. I don't know. Like I'm telling you. This book is a must read. Where can people go and get it? And whether it's whether it's Christmas, guys, or is it just buying your grandchildren or your kids or your neighbor's kids this book? Mm -hmm. I, I, I would love to see schools pick this up um, and almost have this as a workbook that they work through for a, a full you know, semester. I'm sure that that's that's not an original <laughs> thought, but uh, I you're just throwing that yeah. out. Yeah. As, as a teacher, it's, yeah, I'd love to see it in schools. That's a tough road to hoe though, yeah. um, for other reasons, but yeah. So December 6th, the book, um, is available on biggerpockets.com, uh, slash teen. 
biggerpockets.com slash teen. If someone wants to buy the book and the workbook together, which I highly recommend, the workbook is actually a more valuable tool than the, than the first to a million book. Um, but if you buy them both together, you get a discount. Um, if you buy them from Bigger Pockets, you get bonus content. Like uh, in the book, there are six featured freaks, which are young people who are walking this path. There's a bunch more that are bonus content. There's downloadable financial uh, charts for specifically for young people in the bonus content. Um, and there's some other bonus content too that's, that makes it worth it. So yeah, it's amazing. Go to Bigger Pockets and get it. Give, give it to every teenager you know. Biggerpockets.com slash teen. All right. So we're going to dive into part four. And this is where you go into the four mechanisms. And just r- real quick, when, when we think about earning more frugality, the big three expenses, like I would just love a quick overview of that in a little bit more detail. Um, and then the last chapter in, in part four is tracking your income and expenses, which is another behavior that if you do, you will become wealthy. Like if you just mm-hmm. start tracking what you do, you will be way more self-aware. Opportunities will now suddenly come out. You'll start finding areas of efficiency. And that's a, that's a discipline that I myself struggle with um, as well because there's, there's a discipline aspect that needs to happen, but it will transform your life. So I know I'm like, this is like a very open-ended question, um, but like you talk about frugality, earning more, and, and the three big expenses. I'm just curious in part four, what are some of the highlights? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep it short. So um, part four talks about mechanism one, earning more. So it talks about side hustles, appropriate side hustles for young people um, and how important it is to, you know, even in the summer work a full-time job or maybe a full-time plus a part-time job in the summer when you have the time. Um, while you're in high school and in college, if you can, um, mow some lawns, do some babysitting, just try to try to get that income level and, and build that mindset of, I, I do want to earn money. Um, I'm not afraid to do it. Uh, then, then it also talks about the idea, mechanism number two of um, saving more, spending less, which does go back to frugality. So it gives a lot of great examples of how a young person can be more frugal in their life um, but I, sh- I always like to make a distinction. Being frugal isn't being cheap. Um, I like to say cheap is I don't spend money. Frugality is I only spend money on things I value. Um, and you know, we talked earlier about false assets. There's nothing wrong with owning false assets. I own quite a few, but the false asset- assets I own are ones that I value, right? So I love the mountain bike. I have a pretty expensive mountain bike. Um, and it depreciates every day it sits in my garage or every day that I ride it. But I, it's, a, it's a value to me. I get money. I get enough value out of that more than what I paid for it. But what I don't own is a jet ski. I don't like to jet ski. I've done it once in my life. I have no desire to do it. So owning a jet ski would be a false asset for me that I, that I don't get value of. So frugality says spend money on, on the things you value and, and perhaps even spend lavishly on those things because everyone deserves to be happy. And that's not, you know, early fi is not about depriving ourselves or sacrificing. It's just about being intelligent and intentional. Um, And so that piece of the chapter also talks about the big three, how to save money on the biggest three expenses that we as Americans have, and that is housing, food, and transportation. If you can nail those three, then you, it kind of goes back to the pay yourself first. 
If you're paying a lot less for housing than the average person and food and transportation, you are able now to pay yourself first, maybe 50% or more of your income. And because of that, you can't help but reach early financial independence. So many good things, man. I, it just goes, I, goes back to value-based spending. Spend money on things that you value. You start auditing that. It's going to become really clear that a lot of things that are truly fulfilling don't cost that much money. And um, the other the other thing is we, we stole this from Amazon, but one of our core values as a company is frugality and it's frugality do more with less. And and I, I mean, if you think of Amazon's like the one of the most successful businesses out there, I know a lot of people have opinions about that company, but they have a culture of frugality. And so it really doesn't matter how much money you make, um, you can have that mindset of of doing more, accomplishing what you want to accomplish, living intentionally um, with as few resources as possible. So, um, I, I think I might do a whole podcast series on your book, man. <laughs> this is, this is, a, a lot of fun. Uh, part five is how to pursue, um, FI and it's sa savings and investing. And there you talk about, um, saving more money and the savings rate in, in chapter 20 and 21, which I want to touch on. And then you get into investing in index funds and real estate. So let's talk about the savings rate. And um, why is that two chapters? Um, I think what the first chapter about savings is just how to save. Where, where does that, where should you put that money? Should it be in a savings account? Should it be in a shoebox? Or should it be in the stock market? Or where should that money be? So it talks about the best strategy to save money and where that money should be. Um, then the second chapter about saving is about savings rates, I believe. Yeah. I might have the order mixed up there, but the savings rate chapter, you know, it, it tells them how to calculate their savings rate mm. and it gives them a goal. And basically the goal is to increase your, your savings rate from whatever it is now over the next five or 10 years so that you're saving more of your income and, and therefore paying yourself first a higher chunk of your, of your, the revenue coming into your life. So those two things combined um, help you get money to then do mechanism number four, which is invest it wisely. Yep. And you talk about uh, investing and then you talk about the index fund and 4% rule. Um, and do you want to touch on that? Yeah. So my book and it, I really wanted to write a lot more about all the different ways to invest, but I had to kind of check myself sometimes and go, you know, my, my reader might be 14 years old Yeah, and this might be the first introduction they've ever had to money. They also could be 19 and have been investing in the stock market for a year or two and, and know a lot about it. So I kept it simple, but I, I definitely focused on the two investing strategies that I see most prevalent in the FI community. And they also happen to be the two invest, investing strategies that my wife and I focus on as well. And that's index fund investing and real estate investing. Um, so although it's not a real estate investing book, definitely talks about strategies that young people can do in the real estate investing world to help build wealth and reach early financial independence. Um, but it also talks about the 4% rule and how index fund investing and, and those strategies can get you to early FI as well. You also talk about the pros and cons of real estate investing, and I'm going to make people get the book to, to read that because I, I really want to touch on part six. And you have a chapter, which I'm really glad you put that. It's like, the most common question that people are asking right now, and it's, should I go to college? And 
mm-hmm. parents are potentially going to be pausing this uh, podcast, <laughs> but yeah, no, like, yeah. but seriously, it's, it's a huge question I've had. Um, I've had my, my friend, uh, Mitchell who has Praxis, which is a college alternative. It's, I love, love that concept. And on that interview, he just talks about how college is maybe not the right fit for everybody. And you start looking at the cost and at the same time, I think, uh, college is the new high school degree in, in a sense. And so there's a fear mm-hmm. of like not going and getting it. Um, and so very open-minded here. What, how do you address that? And how do you navigate those waters? Because talking about getting hate mail, you might, uh, yeah, um, I, I don't know. And, <laughs> and as a high school teacher, uh, obviously I live in a world where college is, is almost the expectation for, for all the students. So that, yeah, that I would say, I think there's 28 or nine chapters in the book that that chapter, should I go to college? The hardest chapter to write um, took, took the most time to write several revisions of that chapter. Uh, but when, when I boil it down, or if I wanted to boil it down, it really, I don't tell them what to do. Um, I, I, I can't tell any without meeting them and knowing them. I, I don't want to give advice. So I, I basically say just just like whether or not you should be on an early five pathway, the, the choice of college is very personal and there's a lot of factors that need to play into that. Um, and so I lay out the pros and cons of college in, in, the, in, the, in the environment of trying to earn financial independence. I, I lay out the pros and cons. So if your goal is to reach financial independence by 30 or 40 or 25, how does college play into that? And how can it help you? How can it hurt you? And so that chapter is all about weighing those options and then letting the reader decide and possibly the reader and the reader's family decide what's best for that, that person. I think that's, I think that's well, well stated and you will still get uh, people on both sides of the aisle that yeah. then you should have been more aggressive here. But at the end of the day, I, I agree. Uh, most decisions about money, about your life, I can't answer for someone because everyone's a little mm-hmm. bit different and there's not a cookie cutter answer. Um, appreciate that, man. The, the last question as it relates to your book is you talk about in chapter 28, the pros and cons of being a teenager. And this, this chapter, I really appreciate um, because I would say I leveraged the teenage card and was able to get mentored and, and, and been poured into by some incredible people. And mm-hmm. I think it's possible for everybody, but if you're under the age of 20, you have an incredible opportunity. Like the world is your oyster. Mm-hmm. And I see so many people do nothing with it. And it's like, man, if I, if I could have those years back, I would even leverage even more my teenage card. Not sure if that's mm-hmm. what the chapter is about, but I love the title. Yeah. Just to highlight a couple points in that chapter. Um, and, but first to go back and say, this book is not for every teenager. Again, it goes back to that mindset. Um, and people ask me all the time, how do I make a teenager? And usually it's a parent, right? How do I make my son or daughter learn about money? And I say, you can't. Either they do, either they want to, or they, you can lead the horse to water, but that's where it ends. So we can get, you can give a kid this book and they might never open the cover because they just have zero interest and they're not there right now. Or they might read it and set it down and never touch it again for 10 years, but at least they know that it's an option. And then some of them will take it and run with it full steam ahead. And, and, and all of those options are right for that individual. Their pathway is, their path is what it's meant to be. So as a, te- as a teenager, I often tell people, 
I, I think I took the easy route, you know, as opposed to you, Caleb, dealing with adults. Um, and most people do deal with adults when it comes to personal finance. But my job's so much easier because my, my audience has not made those big, big financial mistakes yet. They have not incurred a dime of student loan debt. They haven't wrecked their credit score. They don't even have one yet. Um, they haven't inflated their lifestyle by spending every, every penny of their income because they probably don't have much of an income and they don't really pay their expenses. They live at home. Um, and and they're, they're pretty open to all the ideas about money. They haven't yet built those bad habits. And so they're a clean slate. Um, so that's one of the pros of being a teenager is that you don't have bad habits yet when it comes to money, as opposed to, you know, let's say a 30-year-old who comes to Better Wealth and says, Caleb, I'm in a hole, help me dig out. And then yeah. you got to start from a negative perspective. Um, but one of the cons is that as a teenager, you really don't have a good idea of what, how your life is going to play out. That 30-year-old, maybe they're already married and they have a couple of kids and they know that they're not going to have any more kids and they know exactly where they want to live for the next 30 years of their life. A teenager doesn't know any of that. They don't know when they're going to get married. They don't know how many kids they're going to have. They don't know where they really want to live for a good chunk of their life. Maybe they do, but probably not. And so it's tough to navigate that five pathway without those major life decisions um, being crystal clear. And at 16, 17, they're just not. So um, I help them navigate the pathway as best they can without knowing those, those big life decisions. It, it goes back to if you understand savings, what a real asset is, you understand the power of uh, of a good credit score and you do certain things you might at 16 years old not know your why not know what that mm -hmm. what your goal is but if you're yep. a, but if you make some solid choices you could be 21 22 23 25 and be set up with mm -hmm. not like with the zero to no financial baggage in fact you have real assets that are helping you mm -hmm. versus like having that realization and being $100,000 in debt in it with a degree that you don't even want and having no money discipline. So, man, um, I don't want to be the Mr. Hype person that's constantly hyping people, but I just really admire what you're up to. Uh, you can obviously get this book anywhere, uh, but if you go to Bigger Pockets, you're going to get a lot more bonuses. So, biggerpockets.com slash teen. Uh, anything else that you want to say, man? Like, I again commend you for what you're doing. Um, I, I think this is a must read for everybody because every concept that we went through, it's like, oh, it's probably a powerful concept and what I preach. Um, and it, I talk to majority of people that are not teenagers. Um, and yet if, if you know somebody under the age of 18, they, that is open to this, I'm telling you, you got to get this book and get it in their hands because I think it, it's, it's going to open up a lot of doors, uh, and we'll have a ripple effect. Yeah. Yeah. I, yep. Um, I agree. It can change their life. Uh, the other thing I'll mention is, uh, and you, you touched on it. So I do also uh, have an online community called Sheik's Freaks uh, that you know well, Caleb, thank you again, by the way, for being a guest on our weekly Zoom call. But the, the community is just a, a ton of young people from across the country. Um, anywhere that, that group is actually more 15 to 25. Um, but they're all highly interested in, in everything we've talked about today, right? Including entrepreneurship and mindset um, and real estate investing, everything. And so if any of your listeners know a teenager or, or they are a teenager and they want to get into this community and be around like-minded individuals, hustlers, grinders, 
people who are going to change the world. Um, then if they go to the website, uh, sheiksfreaks.com, they can join the community. If there, there's a free version and there's a paid version of the community, they both have great value um, and great features. But if they want to do the, the paid version of the membership, uh, if they enter the coupon code better wealth, all lowercase one word better wealth, then they'll get a nice discount for the annual paid membership into Sheik's Freaks. And there's just a ton of stuff going on in there. So Man, I well, thank you. That, that means the world. And I, I just, I'm a big fan of being in the right rooms. And thank you for what you're doing. I've, I've had the opportunity to meet a couple people from your mastermind after speaking. And you definitely have some world changers on there. Um, that I, I probably could be taking lessons from, from anywhere from running a podcast to building wealth to different yeah. efficiency hacks is really impressive. And so yeah. thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, I, you know, I usually end our podcast with the legacy question. You already answered this, but I'm going to have you answer this again, since now you're a father. Congratulations, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so this is your last day on earth. You can't give your son your people that you love the most, your book. What are you going to make sure to communicate in that last conversation um, up until this point? I, it's funny. I, don't, I have no idea what I said last time. So I'll have to go back and see if I give the same answer. Um, what, what comes to my mind this time is the idea to allow yourself to be happy, which sounds so simple. But um, I think, and maybe this is more a personal journey for me, but there are many days where I'm so focused on accomplishing a goal or getting these 10 things done that I don't actually enjoy the gifts around me and sometimes slow down. And, and maybe being a father has kind of woken me up to that. You know, every time I just hold my son in my hands and, and we're just kind of looking into each other's eyes, those moments are so precious. But if you're not in the moment and you're not slowing down sometimes throughout your day, then those things just pass you by those opportunities pass you by. So allow yourself to be happy, allow yourself to be in the moment, be in the present and enjoy the gifts that are all we're so we're also blessed with so many gifts that we take them for granted. So we shouldn't do that. Dan, I, I appreciate, I appreciate you coming on. Appreciate the answer. Go get Dan's book. It's anywhere you can buy books, go to biggerpockets.com slash teen. You'll get some bonuses and then check out what you're up to at cheeksfreaks.com. And, uh, and then if you want to join the mastermind, type in better wealth as a coupon code. Yep. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me, Caleb. I love what you're doing. I love everything about better wealth. Um, big, big fan of yours and keep crushing it, man. Keep doing it. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.